0: Being seated, I invite you to take a Bible and turn in the Old Testament to find our second reading for the day. We're looking at the book of Nehemiah. And if you have a difficult time finding it, if you're using a Pew Bible, it's page 568 in the Old Testament. The book of Nehemiah, we're looking at chapter 8, the first eight verses. As you're turning, let me just say again how grateful it is to see all of you here. It's a great crowd this morning. Thank you for, for coming out. Uh, worship is the most important thing we do. And corporate worship together um, is the most important thing that we do. Is what God uses to form us into God's people in the world. So your attention now to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And I am going to invite you to consider leaving your Bible perhaps open um, after, we, after we read the text because we're going to be paying close attention to what's in this text. And my, my suspicion is, if you're like a lot of people in the Christian community today, you're not very familiar with the book of Nehemiah. It's a book that needs to become more familiar to us. But the text for this morning begins at verse 1, chapter 8. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly both men and women, and all, could, all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning into midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for this purpose, and beside him stood Mattathias, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on the right hand, and Padiah, Mishel, Malaka, Hashun, Hashbanana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on the left hand. And Ezra opened the book. In the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Haman, Akud, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelta, Azariah, Hohazabad, Hanan, and Paliah. The Levites helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation, They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, these words will not just be words upon a page, but they may be your word that transforms our lives. God, we thank you that you use your word to speak to us, and we we are excited with great anticipation, as we once again expect to hear your voice. God, we thank you that your grace has led us to yield our lives before you, but we pray for even more grace in this moment to make a greater sacrifice of our lives to you. May we truly be living sacrifices for your sake here in this world. We are so humbled and grateful God that you have chosen us through which you do your work in this world. And that's why we are so eager for you to form us And reform us into the people you're calling us to be we thank you for all of those who have gone before us to teach us the way we thank you for that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us today to encourage us in the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Living Word we pray amen Friends, I am very, very grateful for the book of Nehemiah. And if you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, I hope that this will be the beginning of a fervent relationship between you and the book of Nehemiah. One of the things I've sought to focus on over the course of my ministry is leadership. Uh, Helping myself to be the leader that God's calling me to do and helping create and nurture other leaders around me. The topic of leadership is very, very important to me. And I've read multitudes of great books by great authors on leadership over the years. But none of the books have impacted me in regards to leadership like the book of Nehemiah. So particularly if you're one of those people who enjoy learning about leadership, shame on you that you have not yet found the book of Nehemiah. Here it is in our sacred writings for us. In the book of Nehemiah, through the person of Nehemiah, I've learned a great, great deal about being a leader. I've learned that there is a difference between being a leader and a manager. I'm grateful for the managers in our midst. Managers manage what is. Leaders, like, ne- like Nehemiah, lead us Into the future. Lead us into the new thing that God is always at work doing. From the point of view of leadership, Nehemiah teaches me that leaders attempt great things. Leaders take risk. Leaders aren't afraid when they have to confront to confront. Leaders expect Controversy. Leaders, Nehemiah's taught me this, leaders have to work very, very hard. And oftentimes they even have to work harder than the people they're seeking to lead. But above all else, Nehemiah has taught me that as a leader, a leader has to trust God. Now, of course, this applies to all of us because all of us to some extent are leaders in the Christian community. I hope you realize, my friend, someone is watching you. There are people who know that you're here today worshiping. I hope that you're being very intentional about the people that you are mentoring as a leader, as you seek to develop other leaders, because the reality is you are mentoring others whether you choose to acknowledge that or not, again, there are people watching you. There are people learning how to be a Christ follower from watching you. So we're all called to be leaders. We're all called to mentor others. So I'm talking to all of us, but especially to those of you that are now on the church council, we don't need you to manage. We need you to lead, to lead to lead us into God's future. Nehemiah will help us learn that. I've been living for a couple months now with the book of Nehemiah. So I was grateful when it showed up today as an appointed reading among United Methodists. I encourage you to begin living with the book of Nehemiah. You will take a lot of lessons and encouragement from the book of Nehemiah. We we first experienced Nehemiah as he is cup bearer to the persian king artaxerxes you see the children of israel many of them have been carried away into captivity they were carried away by the babylonians but eventually the babylonians are conquered by the persians but many many of the israelites are still living there in that region a long way from their homeland and evidently nehemiah was well respected there among the Persians, so he received the role as cup-bearer to King Artaxerxes. We don't use cup-bearers, I guess, much anymore in our culture. A cup-bearer was someone who would taste the king's wine before the king to make sure that there was no poison in that wine. So a cup-bearer was a rather frightening responsibility. Uh, The cup-bearer served the king, but also was... Vested with keeping the king alive. So cupbearers would become close to the king. Cupbearers would have the confidence, obviously, of the king. Cupbearers would have the king's ear. And Nehemiah did. And even though Nehemiah was serving there in the Persian court and had a great role there in the Persian court and was very comfortable there in the Persian court. His heart was elsewhere. His heart was back in the homeland. His heart was a long way off to the edges or the frontier of the Persian Empire in the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem that had lain in ruins for decades now. And Nehemiah heard the call of God to talk to Artaxerxes, the monarch, and to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city of Jerusalem and to help rebuild the people of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, the cupbearer, goes home. And in the book of Nehemiah, you see that after he returns home, he helps lead the people in rebuilding the walls. Of the city of Jerusalem. They needed to do that quickly for safety reasons, and they took 52 days under the leadership of Nehemiah to rebuild the walls around the holy city. But then, after they rebuilt the walls around the, whole, around the holy city, Nehemiah knew that it was time to rebuild the people. They had taken care of the broken walls, now they need to take care of the broken people there in Jerusalem. And that's where we come to our text for the morning. Again, notice what's happening in the text. All the people gather together into the square before the water gate. That's one of the multiple gates around the city of Jerusalem. You thought it was a hotel in Washington, D.C. It was here first. It's a gate around, uh, in, the, in the walls around Jerusalem. They told the scribe Ezra, to bring the book of the law of Moses. Now, he perhaps brought all the Torah, all the five books that begin our Bible, but he probably certainly, we know, brought the book of Deuteronomy. And I believe he focused on reading the book of Deuteronomy, which the Lord had given to Israel. Verse two, Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, That was very unusual for that day, but it even gets more unusual, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. We know there's children also being brought, all who could understand. Understanding is an important concept in Nehemiah chapter 8. There are six occurrences in chapter eight of the word understanding. So the men, the women, and all who could understand were brought before Ezra. You notice it says this was the first day of the seventh month. That might not mean a lot to you with our Gregorian calendar, but in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish lunar calendar, the first day of the seventh month is Rosh Hashanah. It's their New Year's Day. So again, Nehemiah wants them to come together on their New Year's Day and take care of some serious business. Verse 3, he, Ezra, read from it facing the square before the water gate, but from early morning until midday. Did you get the time frame there? From early morning to midday. That's five or six hours. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, there it is again. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. You know, I'm very grateful for the hour that you give us on Sunday morning. Not sure how you would react to a five or six hour gathering. But for five to six hours, they were attentive. Keep reading, verse four. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made made for the purpose, and all these people are beside him. He's not there by himself. Verse five, and Ezra opened the book. In the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people on this wooden platform and when he opened it all the people stood up so from early morning to midday five to six hours they stand and they hear the prophet the priest rather Ezra read from the law of God if you keep reading chapter 8 you'll see that they do this for a week All the people stand up to hear Ezra read. Verse 6, before he reads, look what he does. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Lifting up their hands is a wonderful prayer posture that comes from the Bible. And Amen, Amen, the word that means so bit should always ring out uh, throughout the gathering of God's people in worship. The text continued. Then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There's another appropriate prayer posture. I've got a lot of my clergy colleague friends uh, that I know uh, use this prayer posture, being prostrate before God with their faces before God. Uh, Most of us choose to use that in private in private times of prayer. Here you see the people doing it in this gathering. Then, verse 7 you see a list of the names of some of the Levites. The Levites were the associates to the priest there in the temple. You see the names of the Levites who helped the people to understand. There's our word again, to understand the law. While the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, or actually the scroll, from the law of God with interpretation. That's what the Levites were doing, helping to interpret to the people. They gave the sense, the sense of the meaning of the text, so that the people understood the reading. This is an amazing event on one particular day, but it's going to last for a week here in the life of the Israelite people. Let me offer you three what I have found to be life-changing truths that we find here in this text. And I want to leave us with these this morning. These three life-giving truths from the text can lead us into awakening, renewal, revival, and reformation, just as it did for the people here in Nehemiah's time. The first of the things, the first of the life-giving truths that I want to lift up is what is so obvious here in the text, the centrality of Scripture. The centrality of Scripture. The French author, Victor Hugo, wrote that England has two books, the Bible and Shakespeare. England made Shakespeare, but the Bible made England. Throughout our history, we've known how to make the scripture is central to our faith. We need in every age to recover that. That's the way it's been our history for 3,000 years. You see that Nehemiah saw the need for that here in his age. We have needed for 3,000 years to give ourselves to ongoing reformation. And that ongoing reformation has always been according to the scriptures. You see the importance of the reading and the exposition, the teaching of scripture. As Methodist, uh, and I'm such a proud, proud Methodist in my blood, as Methodist, we have Articles of Faith. I hope you are aware of that. I hope that you will Google them and read them. In our Articles of Faith, here's the definition for the church. The visible Church of Christ is a congregation in which the pure Word of God is preached, and the sacraments are duly administered. That's the definition of the congregation. Sometimes we even lose sight as to what a congregation is to be, and we become a social club for the purposes of networking. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the church is meant to be so much more than that. I'm so grateful for all of you people in so many ways for the ways that you have received my ministry, and the same for Ken and, and Pastor Clark, for the ways that you have received our ministries, for the ways that you support us, because I know, and I'm speaking more for myself here, I, I, I know that there are people out there in the body of Christ who want their pastor, I served as a district superintendent, I heard this, they want their pastor to be a storyteller and a comedian, and nothing against telling stories. I'm a big fan of stories. Nothing against humor. I'm a big fan of humor. Um, but that's not who I am as a preacher, because that's a modern novelty as a preacher. Uh, there are congregations who want Garrison Keeler more than they want someone who preaches the Word of God. And I'm so grateful for the ways that you've received our ministry for the ways that you support us. You see here in this text, and this is not a novel text in the Bible, the centrality of the scripture. We say that, but we need to make it obvious to the world around us, and we need to allow that to transform us. The second life-giving truth, I think is obvious in the text here, is you see the hunger of the people to hear from God's word. For five to six hours on this day, they stood and they listened to the reading and the explanation of the Word. And it goes on for a week. Now, they'd been through some difficult, difficult, difficult days um, in the lives of the people of God here. So there are a lot of reasons why their hunger was at a pitch level. But we need to understand that hunger for more of God hunger for hearing the voice of God, hunger for becoming the people that God's called us to be is one of the greatest gifts that the Holy Spirit can give us. I know I pray daily for a greater hunger for God. I encourage you, I know many of you do, I encourage all of you to pray daily for a greater hunger for God's Word, for God's presence, for God's instruction. We, we, can be given that gift of a hunger for the Word of God and for God. And in the Christian community, just like in the Jewish community, those two things are bound together because it's in the Word of God that helps uh, us to see the revelation of God. It's in the Word of God that allows us a channel for hearing the voice of God. That's why throughout our history in the Jewish Christian world, a hunger for God and a hunger for God's Word have gone hand in hand. We all have hunger, and thirst for some things in this life. And we can have multitudes of passions in this life, but our greatest passion should be for God. We should desire God above all else. We should desire God more than we desire any of the gifts of God. We want the giver more than we want the gifts. We want God's presence in our life. So uh, I I just invite you again to, to continue to join me as we pray that God will give us that gift of hunger, such as we see in this text this morning. Psalm 63, the first verse in Psalm 63, expresses this hunger well. The psalmist says, "Oh God, You are my God. I seek You, my soul thirsts for You, my flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. May God give each one of us that desperate desire for more of God. Lastly, Something else that I gleaned from this text that is taught to us in various ways throughout Scripture is you see here in this text the importance of what we call the teaching office. Now, again, as Methodists, our book of discipline is very clear that our pastors need to gratefully assume the teaching office. John Wesley would have said, if you're not wanting to be a teacher, if you're not wanting to learn and grow yourself, then you have no place among the people called Methodist as a preacher. We're called to teach those that are entrusted to our care. You see Ezra here living out the teaching office. You see the Levites here living out the teaching office. You see how six times in chapter 8, they they." They are referenced as trying to help the people understand what they're hearing. The teaching office is so important. It's always been important. Maybe more so in our, in our generation. Because we have people within the body of Christ that would just totally discount the, the need for an ongoing, fervent, deep relationship with the Word of God and we, 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 we hear people discounting it in a lot of ways people can say something like well everyone has his or her own interpretation well there's a little truth in that but there's the consensus faith there's been a consensus for 3,000 years now from the Jewish to the Christian through the Christian world if we believe that everyone can just find what they want to out of this book and believe what they want to out of this book, the Jewish Christian community would have been stillborn 3,000 years ago. But you see here in the text, the Word is read, but then there's an emphasis on teaching what the Word means. Sometimes, sometimes people would discount everything in the Word by simply saying, well, everything in life is not black and white, it's gray. Well, there's a lot of gray in life but there's some black and white in life too. But if you just believe that everything is gray, there's gonna be no authority in our lives. If you believe that everything's up to personal private interpretation, then everyone just becomes their own authority. And that's just not who Jews and Christians have been for the last 3,000 years. I'm so grateful for the ways that we are, we are really big on Bible study here at Wesley Memorial Church. It would warm the heart, I'm sure it does warm the heart, of John Wesley, our founding preacher, who said that he was a man of one book. Uh, he wanted our blood to be bibline. We, we are people who absorb knowledge from lots of different places, but our central primary authority is the Word of God. I'm so grateful for all the Bible studies we have offered here at Weston Memorial Church. Uh, I'm so grateful for the ways that many of you avail yourselves of those Bible studies. I'm also knowledgeable that some of you never avail yourself of those Bible studies. I'm being very gracious. I'm assuming that you're doing the podcast. I'm assuming that you're watching the videos. Or I'm assuming that you're being fed elsewhere. But if you're not being fed somewhere, your soul will starve. So I'm very grateful for the ways that we almost mirror what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8 with an emphasis on the Word of God and understanding the Word of God. So an amazing, absolutely amazing text here in the book of Nehemiah. And there's nothing being taught here in the book of Nehemiah that's not normative for all of Scripture. This is just who we are as a people. This is who we are in our better moments and this can be a text that can call us to spiritual awakening, spiritual renewal, spiritual revival, and spiritual reformation. We are in the midst of a sermon series that we have entitled Aha Moments. I hope that you've had a lot of aha moments, spirit led moments of inspiration and revelation in your individual lives as Christians. But what we see here in this text this morning is a, a aha moment for the whole nation of Israel, for the city of Jerusalem. I pray that we have aha moments, but I also pray I pray every morning that we as a congregation will have will have our aha moments that will form us more perfectly into the people that God's calling us to be. For the kingdom of God to come more fully, that means sometimes our kingdoms have to fade away. Our agendas have to take second place for God's purpose and God's agenda to be primary. And I know that's who you want to be. I know that's who you want us to be. That's why you've come out on a a cold wintry morning to be gathered in this place for worship. But it's when we have moments such as this together that God can do something remarkable for us as a a gathered community. Friends, would would you let me pray with you as we pray together? God, may may we never be afraid of what you're doing in our lives. May we never be afraid of what you seek to do through us. We pray, God, that like Nehemiah, we will be the kind of leader that you're calling us to be in this age among the people. We pray, God, that Nehemiah will grant us courage because we know that courage will come from your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Lord, we are gathered here before you this morning because we want to be formed and reformed. By you. Lord, so form and reform your church in this nation that we may form and reform the nation itself. God, we offer ourselves back to you. May our families, our church, be your instrument here in this nation and world. Through the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. I